I'm going to read from uh, Mark, the eighth chapter. And I have to say, this is usually, I would have to say, every time. Uh, every time that God brings the word to me, he's bringing it to me in personal, intimate counsel. Every single time. And usually, if not mostly, it's, it's present truth, but it's preparing me for something. And that's what this word was. I, I got this, I believe, on Wednesday morning. And then through a process of time, and Lacey calls it the developing horns. And in the meantime, I was developing the horns of the flesh. The flesh is coming out with, the, with these horns. Seriously, I was given this beautiful counsel. I really was. Graciously, God gave it to me. <clears throat> And then, of course, it's, it, God gives us the, the word to prepare us inwardly for what uh, the flesh that would come in and compete against Christ in us and who we are in Christ. And this is brought out, <clears throat> bring, bring out a lot of these points, uh, pretty much uh, possibly a Monday and Thursday where we, we have a little more time to do it and, and, and do it in, in more of a precise way. But I just want to just to touch on it the way that, that God just gave it to me in simplicity. <clears throat> and in, in Mark, the eighth chapter, verse one, it says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, fasting to their own houses, they will, they'll faint by the way. For many of them, multitudes of them, came from very far. They came from very far off. And his disciples answered him, Well, where can a man satisfy these men? With bread here in the wilderness. <clears throat> and that's a question at times that we can ask. We're in this wilderness. This wilderness is this worldly system. And, and again, so many times as we have learned, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17 and verse 14, he said that he was in the world, but he wasn't of it. And then he said that mine that are mine, he said, those that I have chosen through those having chosen me, they're in it, but they're not of it either in John 17 and verse 16. And that's the wilderness. But in the wilderness here, the disciples ask a question is there going to be enough food for us here in the wilderness? And then Christ asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And we'll get into all these things because in the preciseness of Scripture, every single thing in here is loaded with meaning. We just don't have the time to go into it all the way that sometimes I would desire, but to do it the way that God would give it in, in some hours of, of receiving it in the mornings. But it is so loaded. And that's why I say possibly through through the week we can we can go into it if God desires. But he, he asked them and they said seven. And he commanded the people to sit down. This was the, this was the authority of his love. Telling them to sit down to rest because that's the place that you're going to receive, to receive your need of which you can't meet yourself. So just uh, sit. And you can just hear his tone. <clears throat> have them sit. You can hear his tone. And I, I can't send them away. I have unbelievable compassion on him. Well, he would know that. 
He physically hungered and thirsted like no other human being did, yet he fed multitudes, gave them, thir gave them drink and, and gave them food. So he said he commanded them to sit down on the ground and then he took the seven loaves. I, I love this because <clears throat> sometimes we may think we don't have enough to give him. But boy, when we do, what can he do with it? And the seven here, <clears throat> it just, just uh, very briefly, goes into the number of completion. It's perfect. And God, what he's given you and what you and I may think is so little, he sees the value in what he's given us. And when we give it back to him, boy, what he does with it. Boy, what he does with it. And he commanded the people to sit on the ground and he took the seven loaves. And don't ever think that you're so, and I, that I'm so little. And we are in one sense, of course we are. But not to think that we're so little that he missed giving us something that only he could give us and that would meet who he's made us to be and to reveal it. Because each of us is a, a portion and in Christ is irreplaceable. It's a wonderful thing. Each and every single one of us are irreplaceable to him. And so he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> he will give to us graciously. And then when we offer it back to him, he'll take it and offer up thanks. And that's the reason why in Ephesians 5 and verse 20, where it says that we can thank him for all things. He'll always give us a supply in the wilderness. We can be thankful for all things, and that's what he's teaching us, what he desires for us to know. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, we can be thankful in all things because he's given us an incredible portion. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes our eyes get dim. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we enter into unbelief. But it never changes what he's given us. And it never changes who he is in us. And he gave thanks and he broke it. He broke it. And what, he, what we give back to him that he gives to us, there's a way that it flows and it flows through brokenness. In Psalm 38 and verse 18, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Something that God would never take lightly. He would never despise it, never take it lightly. And so that's the, the sacrifices of God. Again, in Psalm 51 and verse 17. And thank God the sacrifices there is the constant and continual proof of what he's done as far as separating us from our sins, from our dullness. And that it doesn't limit him still waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18 because he's in us and he's given us a special portion and, and in such a beautiful way. And then he broke it. And this is what he's doing. What they had given back to him was his. And then in, and then in brokenness, <laughs> he gives it back to the disciples to give. He asked them, he, he has them participate. And I saw that in a beautiful way uh, yesterday at a restaurant. And so... He gave it to the disciples to set before those ones that had a need to be met. And they did set them before the people. What a privilege. 
And they had a few small fishes. And he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. And so they did eat, and they were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets. In the pre previous chapters, and there's, there's many of them that we can see when it goes into how he fed the multitudes, uh, we see in the different synoptics and even in the, in the Gospel of John in the sixth chapter, he fed between four and 5,000. And when it says four and 5,000, that, that was just the men and the women. That's just the men, not including the women and the children. What he can do if we just trust him for what we may think is the little, but to give it back into his hand so in brokenness he can present it through us to others. And what a life of freedom that is. Again, I had the privilege to, to see that and some, to learn some things very, very graphically. So he gave me the word <clears throat> previous to what I'll call my restaurant experience and then work that into me in, in brokenness. And there were only a few small fishes, but they, were, they all did eat and were filled. And then there were seven baskets left. We'll get into all this. See, there's nothing wasted. Nothing is wasted. What we give to him and what others don't take is nothing is wasted at all. And those people may miss it. People may even miss in what we desire to give and they may miss the understanding and they may reject it. It's still of priceless value to God through Christ and it's not wasted. So we, he doesn't want us to think this morning that even when in brokenness we offer Christ and when we're rejected or misunderstood, he doesn't want us to think that it was wasted. Not at all. Because it wasn't and it isn't. And so... They, they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. But he didn't send them away until they were filled. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came unto the, the parts of um, Dalmathana. And the Pharisees came. The Pharisees, they followed Jesus everywhere he went. And they began to question him seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And there's no way, and this is proven when you study this isagogically in its historical frame of reference, there's no way that the Pharisees either weren't witnesses of the miracles that Jesus did, or they didn't hear it by even others of their own ilk, because they did. Yeah. But they still, still were bypassing their need and that's what happens, you know, when we bypass his, uh, the need that he has for us, when we refuse and when we resist it, we're tempting him. And God, obviously, we know in James 1 and verse 13, God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither, neither he tempts any man. And so here, the Pharisees came and they were seeking a sign. What greater sign could they have had? What greater sign do we need I mean, we look back, and when we face trials and tribulations, just like the, the, the uh, Jews that were let out, there were over 2.4 million men, not including women and children, that were delivered in one night. 
held in bondage for over 400 years, they could no way get themselves out. And then God raised up Moses, a type of Christ, a type in the work that God was doing through him. And he led them out. And then they were singing a song that he led them out in Exodus, the 14th chapter. And in the 15th chapter, they were singing a song. And then as he was leading them through the wilderness, where did he lead them to? He lead, led them to the Red Sea, the sea of impossibility. Then they looked to the left for escape and there was a huge mountain range. To the right, there was a mountain range. They took and looked back and there was Pharaoh's army hot after them. And then they cried out. <laughs> and the first thing they did was begin to honestly, with every doubt, with every fear, with every irritation, with every suspicion. Ultimately, we may think we're blaming others or circumstances and situations, but really we're blaming God because we truly know that in Second Corinthians 4 and verse 15, all things are for our sakes. We've been taught many times that we are the dot and God's the circle. He's not just the circle this way. He's a spherical ball all around us. That's the circle. And... Uh, that's why all things are of God in 2 Corinthians 5.18. And that's why all things work together for the good. And in the only place in the epistle of Romans is this verse brought out. All things work together for the good. The good there is agathos. It's God's divine good that he's invested in us. How can it fail? What he's given us cannot fail. And he gives us just enough. And we want more. But when we want the more than what he's given us, we just want to consume it upon the flesh. He gives us the more so that we keep dependent, so that we can experience the desire of his intimacy with us, because that's what he desires. And he gives us things, but he knows when to give them to us, because they're even given to us because he wants intimacy created in us. That's what he desires. And he desired it with every one of these. In this type, you see, every one was felt. Every single one, even those that would reject him and him knowing it, it still didn't do away with the power of his grace, the sovereignty of his love. Didn't do away with it. He still gave it. Something I see constantly in my own life. Well, they were tempting him because they didn't come to have a need to be met. They didn't. They hated him. They sought so many occasions to kill him. They cried out, the chief of them, in John 19 and verse 15, crucify him, because they said in 18, verse 40 of John, not this man. You see, that's what the flesh says in us. Not this man. Nope. This one. <laughs> oh, boy. God forbid. In his love, he does. And he sighed. Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And said, why does this generation seek after a sign? Here I am, the very proof of God Almighty and my love for them. I say unto you, there will be no sign given unto them, unto this generation. Not this generation of unbelievers, no. Not those that want, don't want anything to do with me, no. Not for, it's not for them. Could be. But it's, but it's not for them because they didn't receive it. And until we do receive it, until we do humble ourselves, until his grace, and many times we've been taught here 
God has prevenient grace. Prevenient grace simply means that he's still giving us grace. That's Matthew 5, 44 and 45. He makes his son and his reign to go on the just and the unjust. That's prevenient grace. Grace given even before the will has submitted to the giver of it. How many times have I experienced that? And I experienced it yesterday. And even prior to that, he had already given me the word and was dealing with issues in my heart with the word. But I can refuse it and be an unbeliever in that sense. And then is it for me? Would I believe that it would be for me? No. But is it? Yes. It's not only it is for me, he is. Romans 8, 31, God for me. Does it even matter who's against me? Does it even matter? When, I, I, when my enemies come against me, in Psalm 56 and verse 9, then I will cry unto God, for this I know, something we have to learn constantly, that he's for me in all the depths of his love, all the depths of the intimacy of his desire just to love us, having already done all. You know, in John 13, verse 1, it says, having loved his own, he loved them unto their end. And you know what our end is? Our eternal beginning with him. Where nothing, when we face him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face, when we face him in our own individuality and in fellowship with him in Revelations 2 and verse 17, love with him, his desire for us and that exchange of love will never be interrupted or disturbed ever again. And that's the love in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 where it says it passes knowledge. Meaning, I will, because I am love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God says, you will never come to the end of how much I love you and desire you. You imagine, and for all eternity, you know what our Savior's going to do? He's going to serve us. He'll, he's never, he never stopped here being a servant. And many believe that when you look at, look at Mark, they, they look at it like the ox, and the ox was a servant to its master. And in this type, he fulfilled that, constantly serving, bypassing his own needs, sacrificing himself continually because that's what love is. Well, then he says he left them and entered into the ship and again departed on the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten. And boy, do I do this. And boy, at times do we do this. We forget to take bread. We forget what he's given us. We forget the portion that he's in us. And when we do, oh boy, then we begin to look to others when we forget him. And we want to, them to replace him and then we get disappointed. And then when we come to the end of self-help and self-hope and others, then he brings us to the place. He doesn't bring us, but when he's not bringing us, we look in. Then when we look in, we get very discouraged. But when we look up, and we'll see this here in this chapter, when we look up, we get very built up and very encouraged because we're looking away from ourselves. And we look away in Hebrews 12 too from all that would distract unto Jesus. And then we see he's our beginning. He's the author of everything about us. And he's the ending. Eternally. So the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they any in the ship with them. They only had one loaf. And he charged them saying, take heed. 
This is very interesting when you study this, and again, we'll get into it a, a little more during the week. But he said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? It's those fleshly men that exalted and worshipped themselves. It was everything about who they were. And as a result of that, because Jesus could see right through them, you see that in Mark, the third chapter, he could see right through them. And you see those first five verses. He saw right through them. You see his eyes in Revelations 1, verse 14, there is a fire and they reduce things down to what they truly are. And he did that to them and they hated him. Can you imagine seeing these signs, seeing what he would do? You see, he healed the man with the withered hand. They, they were eyewitnesses. They were right there. And they still sought to take him and kill him. Oh, how. How insane and evil. The flesh that's in us that we're not of. Thank God for that. Romans 8, 9. Flesh is in us, but we're not of it. Because we have the seal and proof of God's love. It's the Holy Spirit. Sealed. Because no man could say that. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Could say Lord without Christ being in them. In the proper way. Well, he said, take heed of the leaven of the Pharisees. Those religious self-worshippers that want to gather people into them. You'll see that in Galatians 6, chapter 12, verse. They wanted other men's flesh. Oh, terrible. That's, and we'll get into that a little more this week, the Pharisees. And then it's the leaven of Herod. And the Herodians there, they had what they called their votaries. And a votary was one who would become addicted to the one that would meet their need that wasn't of Christ. They became addicted to this person, this man, this symbol, this idol that could meet their need and keep them from Christ. And that's what Jesus was saying. Take heed of the leaven of the Pharisees, the fleshly, that'll, that'll give you legalism, that'll teach legalism to keep you in the bondage of the flesh. Beware of them, take heed of them, because they're not from me, because I'm the good shepherd in John 10, 11 and 14. There are many voices in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 to 12, there are many, many voices as opposed to the one voice of the shepherd. And no one can speak our name, that he's the new name that we are, like him. No one can, can, like God the Holy Spirit, can take the word that Christ is in each of us and speak it to us individually. Because every single thing he's done, that's what he's done for us. And he's in us. He's the bread with us. He'll always be our supply. We see that in John the sixth chapter, verse 30 to 58, where he's talking about he's the manna, you know, the true manna, not the manna that came down in Exodus 16, 14 and 15, that was an answer to all their murmurings. Do you see the, the, the power of his love? The manna still came down. You know, it still came, comes down. I may murmur. I may be hurt. I may be feel rejection. I may be laboring over my own failures and sins. And I may, may be laboring over others. But when I come to him every morning, when I come to him in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, when I do, he says, you need to take this yoke. And the yoke there, we always must remember, it's not a double yoke. Jesus never needed a yoke. 
He never needed to be restrained. He always did. In John 8, 29 and Romans 15, 3, he always did those things that pleased the Father. He had a, he had a human nature. He never had a sin nature. He felt pain. He felt rejection. Almost assuredly, he did. But he did it in the purest sense, in the deepest sense. What must it have done to him in the purity of who he, he was and all that he did in propitiation for his father so that he could be the pure, perfect substitute whereby you and I are constantly being reconciled. We've been reconciled positionally. Now he's continually doing that in our experience. And that's why we need to constantly have our minds renewed in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse 23. We have our minds constantly renewed through the, through the word. And uh, God has given us the means because we have truly the only theologian and scholar there is. It's called God the Holy Spirit. We all have that unction in 1 John 2.20. And we don't have any need that just a natural man should teach us apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, there's no power of the Holy Spirit working through. But when that individual is submitted to Christ so that the mind of Christ, the work of Christ, the very substance of who he is can flow through that vessel to others, in and through that vessel to others. And this is what he deeply desires. You see, it's always that God wants to be known deeply and intimately in his love for individuals. And that's the thing they hated. Where did that come from? The father of all lies in John 8 and verse 44. And he said, so take heed of the leaven of, of the Herodians, those that will supply all your lustful needs, tell you you need these things. When Christ in Philippians 4 and verse 19, it's very interesting what it says there, my God will supply all your need. You know, it's singular. It meets everything about us. According to the limitless, unfathomable riches of his love. And then when I do receive it in humility in James 4 and verse 6, the devil flees. And then I see that in Philippians 4 and verse 13, you know, I really can do all things through Christ. Can't tell you how many times I say to God, in the wrong place, the flesh, I can't. <laughs> it's not so much I can't. It's just that I don't want to or I won't. And you know what? It doesn't change the substance and, per and perfection and power of his love. Still waiting to be gracious. It's incredible. Well, in verse 16, it says, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread that Jesus is saying this. Oh boy. You know what this brings out? And this is the teaching that it brings out to, to us. That in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, it says this, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. This is a lesson that I have to constantly learn. That in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now the original says blood and flesh. But again, we don't wrestle against that but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this particular age we're in, spiritual wickedness in the heights. And as a result, in 2 Corinthians 10, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not flesh and blood, but they're mighty through God to pull down in us strongholds, things we may not even be aware of. We may be aware of them ignorantly, 
I, I mean, not aware of them ignorantly, and we could be aware of them and not care and live in rebellion and stubbornness. <laughs> the horns come out. <laughs> In First Samuel fifteen twenty three, you know God doesn't require; He doesn't want sacrifices apart from obedience. And I'm going to tell you why: because obedience is what His love for us has created in us, in the submission of our will, to love Him for what He's done, for what I didn't deserve, and when I was lost, couldn't do a thing about it. Then obedience is His love created in me, returned to Him, and oh boy, He loves that in the little things, in the little, little details. But he said, why do you reason? Well, because in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we're to cast down, what? Imaginations. And imaginations in the original simply means these false reasonings that are based upon lies. It's reasonings, thought processes that don't come from God. Casting down these false reasonings, and, and it shows you where it comes from, and every high thing, <laughs> hoopsama, the influence of the atmosphere. That's what it says. Cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Listen, what does God want us to know constantly? Who he is and his intimate love for us. Otherwise, our reasonings, our own reasonings, get in the way of how much he loves us. And the power's there. The unchangeable, immutable truth and substance of it is there. We just don't experience it. And that's his desire. They reasoned among themselves, saying it is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he knew their thoughts. That's were their thoughts, by the way. He knows our thoughts afar off, by the way. See that in Psalm 139 and verse 2. Nothing is too hard for him. He knows our thoughts from afar off. In Job 42 and verse 2, he does. And yet it doesn't change his desire to implement the power that could bring in the substance of it. Never. Well, he said, why reason you? <sighs> Ed, stop your reasoning. Stop your resisting. Stop your hardness. Stop it. Stop it. Why reason you? Because you say you have no bread when I'm here. The very bread of life. Don't you see it yet? I mean, weren't you eyewitnesses of what I've done in your life? And you still don't see it yet? Neither? You, you still don't understand my love? I'll tell you why. Why? Because your heart is hardened. Yeah. You know what that is? That's the stronghold. That means I'm held by Satan. My will is held by him. And he's stronger than me. You will see that in Romans 7, 18 and 21. Sin is always stronger than my will. That's why we need to constantly submit ourselves. That's why we need a constant yoke. A constant yoke. Jesus, I said, it is the scriptures. The scriptures tell me that's why I said <laughs> he never needed a yoke. That's the type that's brought out in Numbers 19, 1 and 2. It's the red heifer there. The red heifer, most of, except for the red heifer, all the sacrifices were male. They brought out his work, but yet the red heifer brought out his heart of constant submission. That was the red heifer. That's like us. We're his bride. 
we constantly submit and respond to him and experience his headship and experience in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Thank God we're not our own. We need to know that constantly. Have you, have, have you your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, I mean, you don't see. Having ears, you don't hear. And it's why, it's because you forgot, you don't remember. Sometimes you're, it's ignorance, yes. None of us know anything like we ought to in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, we don't. But then there's rebellion and stubbornness. And in 1 Samuel 15, 23, rebellion is this witchcraft under this atmosphere. <laughs> Boy, who wants those reasoning thoughts? <laughs> and stubbornness is as idolatry, something that's in constant competition. You know, that's the flesh that's in us. It's in constant competition with God through Christ being in us by the power of the Holy Spirit just to love us and the freedom and freeing us in that. Well, do you not remember when I broke the five loaves among 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said unto him, 12. Okay, we'll get into the specifics in, in the coming days, but right now we just want to end this and uh, just give us a, a synopsis here. And when the seven, uh, and, and when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And he said, seven. Seven. Complete. Nothing's going to be wasted. Nothing will be wasted with God. Don't think that you wasted it when it was rejected. Nope. Don't think that. Because you did it unto the Lord. And he treasures it up. He puts it in a vial, you know, he saves it. He, he bottles all our tears in Psalm 56 in verse 9. He bottles all our prayers that we did in submission to him. And when we were rejected, he loved it. And in Revelations 5, 8, it said it, it, said it went up to him like a sweet savor. Because Christ obviously was there mixed with it. And that's Hebrews 4, 2. The word does profit us when we mix absolute dependence upon him. And so they said 12 and 7, they said 7. And then he said unto him, then how is it that you do not understand? And then he came to Bethsaida and they, and they brought a blind man unto him. Oh God, where did I see this vividly? You know, blind here in the scriptures, blindness comes really and truthfully, in the physical sense, from hardness of the eyes, spiritual blindness comes from intense hardness, anger stored up, lack of forgiveness stored up, and then you become hard. And that hardness not only affects you, but it affects everyone else that you come in contact with in Hebrews 12 and verse 15. And so what we see here is that they, they, they brought him a blind man. And they and and they they besought him to touch him, just to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand. <laughs> what a picture, right? How many went by him? How, how many like the beggar? How many just went kept, kept just going by him, because they were helpless in themselves. Never mind for them. But he took him by the hand and led him out of the town. 
And when he had spit on his eyes, he took of his very substance. You see, it's the, only, it's the very substance of Christ that does it and not another thing. You see, we can't do it. I can't do it for myself. I can't do it for another until I receive it for myself. And then when I do, I can give it to another. And put his hands upon him. And he asked, he asked him if he saw anything. He asked him if he saw anything. And this is what he said. He said, and he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And I'm going to tell you, this is what God was telling me. He was dealing with me in, my, in the hardness of my heart Wednesday morning. And he was seeing how many times, and, and love, and he's doing it the only way he does it. He always does it. The Holy Spirit always takes the word, even when we're in the flesh, and he shows us that we're living in the flesh with the word without condemnation. <laughs> never. It's always with conviction, so there'll be, never be with any regret. In, second, in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. He convicts us, and conviction is this, just his love. That's what conviction is. And his, when love, and when we're convicted, and when we receive, receive it, it keeps out the condemnation of the flesh and the condemnation of the world from entering in. Now, there'll be godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, but never with regret. Never with, with regret. Plenty in the world, plenty in the flesh. So, it was like God was saying to me in the morning, well, I've given you all this word. I've been faithful, giving it to you for decades, pouring it on you, haven't I? Yeah, very faithfully, yes. Yep. But how do you see others? And I see them as trees. Yeah, they're trees. And that's all you see them? Do you see my love after them? If it's another brother or sister in Christ, do you see who I am in them? Do you? Or do you just see them as trees? After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. Sometimes we have to go through these things. We have to be in these circumstances to see, oh my God, oh boy, oh my God. He put his hands upon my eyes. That's what he did again. He's teaching me yesterday. And made him look up. And he made me. And the one would he, that he was using made me. In the restaurant. He made, uh, through that person that God was ministering to, through that other person that I really didn't want anything to do with. I just saw as a tree. You're in the way. God ministered. And that person actually touched that person. Changed her whole outlook. Changed mine too. It took a little bit for me though. <laughs> and made him look up. And he made me look up. And he was restored. Nothing like being restored. Nothing like being taken out of the flesh. Nothing like being taken out of the lies of the enemy. Something we need constantly. And I need it. You know, the Apostle Paul needed it. He needed to be chained to a Roman guard. Did you know that? At the end of his life. After three unbelievable missionaries. After writing approximately 14 epistles. <laughs> Being his amanuense, by the way. Just his pen. He was the paper boy. That's all he was. Paul. 
but he had to chain him to a Roman guide. You know what he said? And Philippians, after all his journeys and everything, in Philippians 3.9, you know what he said? He said, I want to be found in him, so I will not be found in my own righteousness. You know what he was saying? The flesh. I don't want to know myself after the flesh. And because if I do, I'll know others. And they'll just be trees. They'll just be trees, that's all. They're everywhere. A lot of beautiful trees though, huh? You look at this pear tree with its blooms. It's beautiful. And God wants us to see others that way. He made him look up and restored. And he saw every man clearly. <laughs> yeah. He had to see himself first. Always starts that way. Then we can see others. You lose yourself. And that's why humility, humility way back. I read it from a man in the 1840s, by the way. And he probably got it from someone else and someone else. But that guy that I read it from never took credit for himself. He didn't put it out there like he said it. He said, humility is not thinking too highly of yourself. It's not thinking too lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of self at all. It's living in the freedom of who Christ is. Then he breaks the vessel. You and I know that, don't we? We can, we can have horns. <laughs> we can. And then God breaks us. And that love that he is in us, it flows in and then, it, doesn't it want to come out? It does. And this is what he was teaching here. This is what he was teaching me yesterday. And you know, many times in this truth, don't think that when, and God doesn't want me to think that when I used you as a vessel to pour this in, <laughs> to come out, don't think that it was not of any avail. Don't you go by sight. That's what he told Jeremiah when he put his words in his mouth. And Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, when he chose him, he said, don't look at their faces. Don't go by that. You'd have no idea what I'm doing in them. And don't you treat my sweet, precious ones like trees. And don't you treat others that are potentially mine like trees. You treat them like my love for them that went to a tree and dealt with it potentially for them. And so, Lord, we thank you for your precious word this morning. Thank you that, boy, when you touch us, those that had leaven, those that had the leprosy, and you'll see this in Leviticus 13 and 14. They were ostracized. They were kept out of fellowship from the rest. They were all alone. You weren't to touch them. You weren't even to touch a single thing that they touched. But you'll see in the synoptics, there's a leper, a leper and he cried out. And, and Jesus asked him, what would you have me to do? And he said, oh, heal me. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus touched him. And out went the leprosy. And that's what he does with us experientially. See, we're delivered 
already positionally from the leprosy of the flesh and all its evil and decaying effects. But he's constantly teaching us in, in this way, in our hearts, each of us. Because every single thing that Jesus did in his person, every pain, every joy, every hurt, every rejection, everything he did was to his Father, but for you and I as individuals. And Lord, we thank you for this truth. Thank you for your lessons. Thank you for those that you use as joints that supply. And thank you for each precious person, Father. We all have the incredible capacity to speak the truth in love. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, as we grow up in you and to be a joint that supplies. We thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.